Blog Talk Radio. Girl, how you doing this Thursday? Child, it's Thursday. My mind, I've been working. I've been working, doing five things at one time. You know how I do. I know right. <laughs> you know how I do. But yes, do. we have a great show today. I'm really excited because I got questions to ask Mr. Sean say Claire. So, you know, we always mm-hmm. start talking about some of everything when Sean come in the chat room. So I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about his new book that's coming out. And we have his new author, uh, author Keita Richardson. Uh, she's going to come mm-hmm. in and talk that talk about her her first book or her new book that she's going to be dropping. So I'm excited. We have a great show mm-hmm. today. I know. It's, you know, whenever Sean comes in, we have a topic, Lee, and we all prop <laughs> And prop to go with our topic, and he comes in here and gives us a left turn, girl. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's why I said spin outs and sharp turns. So there ain't no telling That's what's gonna him. happen when Sean Zay Claire's in the building. <laughs> so so true, but it always is on point. I love his perspective on on, on a lot of things. You know, he brings that male flavor to the show. You know, Uh and he sees things differently the way we see it, and then he comes along and gives, and it's always good to have both sides, how they see each situation, because it's a lot of food for thought, and we always have a lot of thought going on in the chat room when Mr. St. Clair visits us. Uh Uh-huh. You're absolutely (laughs) right. Uh And I love that topic, Lisa, because like you said, that's apropos for him and, I'm, and we're always <laughs> excited we're always excited when when new authors come on 
because you can become a little bit jaded. You know, you have your season office and you get used to a certain, you you know, lack of a better word, flavor. But when a new author comes along, it's like a little refreshing. It's like, oh, I remember when my author first started. You know, that, that gives you another taste of food for thought because now you're seeing it from a different a different view, you know. So we love hearing seasoned authors and new authors on the same show because they can vibe off each other as well, Leash. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And really, that's what life is, though. We've experienced mm-hmm. this whole quarantine thing, and life is a straight vibe. You know, I posted earlier um, mm-hmm. that – you know, we we pray a lot, you know, we spend so much time asking God for this and, you know, help me do this. And we're expecting one thing. Uh, we're expecting mm-hmm. him to bless us the way we're expecting it to be done, not the way he wants to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did post about that because it's like you got to start paying attention to how he starts positioning you in your blessing. Mm-hmm. So even though we have this big old quarantine thing going on, it's a horrible experience on one hand, people are being positioned. That's right. And you got to pay attention to those because, like you said, it's not just cut and dry. You know, this is what you want, then this is what you're getting. This is here, and here it is. There's so Mm -hmm. many different avenues that you have to take because you may not be ready. You may not be in a position to accept what it is that you're asking for. So you may be in a in a growth period. You may need to grow some, or you may be even mm-hmm. need to shed some things in order to get what you or people. believe that mm-hmm. you right things. People, you may need to shed them and make room for those that are going to come into your life to get to you get you to where you want to be or what you want to do or who you want to be. Yeah, you know what. Cora Jakes uh, did a sermon, I think it was last year, and she talked about how you ask God to bless you, and then because it doesn't happen the way you want, you're like, maybe he didn't hear me. Maybe I'm not supposed to do this. Maybe and you're not paying attention to the fact that you want him to do what you want to do, but he's going to actually mm-hmm. do what he wants to do. And so, mm-hmm. you know, during this quarantine, it's like, like you said, we got to pay attention, not mm-hmm. only just for sickness, because if you think about sickness, you got to pay attention to your body. Your body will tell you what's going on. Um, but a lot of mm-hmm. times we get so busy with the hustle, huff and buff life that we don't have time to take that time to sit down and pay attention. Mm-hmm. And then, and also in that interim lease, you know, just because you may not recognize what it is that uh, is being bestowed upon you, you can reject it, and in a sense, you're, you're blocking the blessing that you're asking for. The very blessing that you're asking for, you you turn around and block it because they don't look like what you feel it should look like. Does that make sense? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really does. So you got to look at all sides, all aspects, and uh, nothing is ever the way that you perceive it to be, especially when you ask for a blessing or a favor from God. That's absolutely true. Absolutely mm-hmm. true. Well, y'all know we always get on here. We get the jipping and japping and yapping because y'all know me and Tony. We live so far apart. We don't get to have girl time all the time. Uh, but we're going to open up this show and get it cracking. Absolutely. That was y'all, me and Leisha's version of spin-outs and shop turns. 
<laughs> you like that little twist, Lee? That was a good one, see? That was a good one. <laughs> well, we want to welcome everybody. You know, we always have new ears, new eyes, new voices, new people in the chat room every which week that we come on. So we want to say thank you. But just to give those people that are joining us flavor what we do here on Let's Chat. Leisha and I, you know, we started off as readers. We started off our show as just, you know, welcoming authors. But our show has evolved in the many years that we've been on the air. And we not only celebrate authors, but we celebrate the dopeness of all arts. And you can find every every aspect of the arts that have come to the doors of us chat, whether it be music, authors, publishers, lawyers, Sports people, actors, singers, we've had them all here on Let's Chat, and we just love celebrating them the royal way, no matter what it may be. Our show allows our guests as well as our listening audience to interact in an intimate, fun, and friendly environment. We get to hear the passion. Boy, do we have some passionate shows up there in the chat room, but we get to hear the passion. <laughs> The passion behind what it is that they do, because you never know who's listening, and it may touch someone, it may spark someone, especially during this quarantine time, because so many things have evolved. So many people have tapped into their creativity during this quarantine time that you may be listening to someone that may give you a spark, that may light your fire, and as a result, you know, you're on a whole new journey. So that's what we love doing here on Let's Chat, Lisa. We just love sharing because we're able to, to bring the, such diversity to our show, and we hope that you guys enjoy it as much as we do. Once again, we have a fabulous show on tap tonight with Mrs. Sean Sinclair and the wonderful new author, Ms. Keeva Richardson. You know I'm, a, I'm already a fan of hers, Lisa, and you know why. <laughs> but we're going to enjoy through our show regarding spin-outs and sharp turns. Welcome, everybody. Absolutely. I'm so excited. We you know, all know how we get started now. We got so many people that sent us music. Um and we're gonna have to we're gonna share a little bit of it and play a little bit of the uh music that's been sent in to us. Uh so okay. we're gonna play a little bit of I'm trying to find Keith Robinson. Oh, our favorite girl. <laughs> yes, he has a new love apostolic too, which is not out yet. Uh, and so he played the preview. I want to say he played on my Instagram and Facebook. And when I inboxed him, I asked him if he could send it to us. And boom, 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 mm-hmm. it was in our email. I'm still trying to get him and his wife in here because they're doing some dope things uh, with their non profit. But this is the one from uh, Keith Robinson. to get to know you with my third eye to understand the pages off in your mind i want to know your energies i i want to give you all you need and oh i want to be the one you call it late night the one that you can hold and make it all right
another trip, another show. Y'all better listen to me. 
Let's get it. Green man, 30 on me. Big bad, dirty on me. Yo ho, working on me. My niggas, working on me. Hit his ass, laser tag. Fit it round, fit it round, drum. Hundred round, hundred round, drum. Mop him up when the time comes. Mask on, mask off. Big dog, big boss. You broke your law. Like a tiger, nigga. Yeah, ho. Green man, doing numbers. I got hitters, I got runners. We gon' tag them like them comers.
to ourselves and speak into ourselves. And a mm-hmm. lot of times we will talk ourselves out of doing things. We'll say we don't have time. We'll say, you know, I don't feel like doing that. I can't do it. Whatever the case may be, we're going to give ourselves excuses on why we can't do something that uh, clearly God has placed in our spirit to do. So I want mm-hmm. you just to tell us what was your goal moment when you said, decided to say, okay, I'm going to write this book. Um, honestly, it wasn't something that I planned to do. I never really planned to write a memoir about my personal life. In my mind, I had, like, writing a book one day, like, maybe when I was 50. That was the mindset. But I got invited to do a presentation for a nonprofit organization called Men on Fire. And this is a nonprofit organization that serves men who are coming home from prison and at-risk youth. And so mm-hmm. – I did the presentation, and it was about just digital entrepreneurship, but I shared a brief story about, you know, me growing up with a parent in prison and how it impacted me. So Sean Sinclair, shout out to Sean Sinclair, he was actually a board member for this nonprofit organization. So after the presentation, he asked me if if I had ever considered writing a book, and I said no. I was like, no, you know, I'm not interested in writing a book about my life. You know, I, I want to write a book one day, but that's later. You know, I kind of felt like I was too young. Like, oh, I need to live a little bit longer. Like, it's something I want to do later. And mm-hmm. he really kind of shifted my perception, my perspective right then, because he he said something like, what does that mean, live longer? Like, you know, you have a great story that you could share now. So I was apprehensive. It was something that I wasn't planning on doing. But we kind of um, talked again after and once he kind of heard more of my story and he kind of started planting the seed of, like, you could use your story to help other people instead of uh-huh. me, I was afraid, you know, it's scary to share your truth and, you know, have people really see and read what has really happened, what you've been through in your life. So once I kind of uh-huh. took it away from this book is me, my story, my secrets that I don't want to share and kind of changed into this could help other people, I decided to go ahead and say, yeah. <laughs> So that was it right there, just really realizing that I kind of thought about how it all came together, and I felt like it was a great opportunity and that if I wasn't supposed to write the book, it wouldn't have came together the way that it did. So I kind of felt like I had to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what was the feeling like when you were going through it? Um, because if it was something about that you really, really, really were kind of sheltering yourself from, you had to kind of relive a lot of different things um, that you may have felt that you had gotten over. How was that process mm-hmm. like getting all of that, bringing it back out and then pushing it back out, bringing it back up and pushing it back out? It was emotional. It was emotional and it was it was tough. To me, writing this book was a, one of the scariest, like hardest things that I've ever done because it, you got to be vulnerable to do it. And then, like you said, I'm a person um, kind of throughout my life, I've never been somebody to share. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things I had been through, I had really repressed them. I had completely blocked myself from thinking about them. And I had to like, ugh, you know, so those times where things stung a little bit, where I got emotional and I had to like take a break. Like, okay, I got to come back to this. Or mm-hmm. just thinking about things and, and also, too, deciding what I was going to share because when you're writing a memoir like this, I could have I could have shared so much more. So we just having to comb through and say, all right, these are the pivotal moments that I feel like 
I should share the most. So it's like if I was to really write it all out, like tell the full, full, full backstory of everything, the book would have been too long. <laughs> so it was a lot of anxiety. Definitely mm-hmm. just scary. That's all I can say. It's one of those things that's just scary, but it was also liberating. You know, Absolutely. that's one thing I will say. Like, once it was done, I felt so free. Like, oh, my God. Like, just release. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. You mm-hmm. know, we do a show uh, here on Let's Chat We talk with um, where we talk about children of incarcerated parents. Um, and mm-hmm. the show we did was uh, children of um, high-profile drug drug lords or however you guys want to call them. We had mm-hmm. two of their children on. Uh, and one of mm-hmm. them was uh, Frida Me- Myers. Uh, and her father was a a big, big drug person in uh, New York. And she talks about the story of when the feds came into her home when she was little. And mm-hmm. uh, everybody had guns blazing. It was just, she talks about this traumatic experience. And that's what it is, it's mm-hmm. trauma, especially mm-hmm. to a child. And when she looked mm-hmm. up, everybody in her house was gone. Except for her, wow. you know, and so as a child, that that is a traumatic experience that we don't really think about when we think about uh, children of incarcerated parents, where if they were there when their parent uh, was taken, or it's just the fact that their parent is taken and they have this bond. Right. Um, talk a little bit about the bond with your parent. How how did that so help that's you so grow? Crazy that you bring that up because that was kind of my story, and I was a person who didn't. I went through life up until maybe four or five years ago, like really thinking nothing from my childhood affected me. So my father was a high profile drug lord. He went to prison when I was two years old, and he went right in front of me. And so me and my brothers witnessed it. I, from the story I've been told and how my reaction was, it was very traumatic for me. But Throughout life, you know, this happened when I was two years old, though. So mm-hmm. I, on a, you know, conscious level, for I don't know how I, how that affected me now at two, but, you know, once you go deeper into and you start exploring your trauma, it's like, no, that one thing greatly impacted you. You just, mm-hmm. for me, I was always a person who repressed and held everything in. Mm-hmm. So to be honest, it wasn't until I started writing the book did I realize, like, you know, how much of my own trauma I had worked through. You know, I had a really great mentor to help me during my journey, but no, that's, it's really traumatic. Really, really, really. And Mm -hmm. abandonment issues, I can imagine, you know, you were two, you know, so I can imagine Mm -hmm. how those issues um, crept up on you. But when it came to feeling abandoned, did you have that abandonment issue, especially where you saw maybe, um, sparks of it in relationships or different connections with other people? See, me, I handled it, I think, very much different than a lot of women who, like, you know, maybe go through the same. I was a very cold, just shut down, emotional person. So it showed up. Mm. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, I was never open. Like, I was just, I was never, like, a real affectionate person. You know, in relationships, even with men, men were always more affectionate and open with their emotions with me. I was always the more shut down person. Mm. 
so that's how it affected me. You know, I was never like promiscuous. I was never out there searching for a father figure. Me, I was just very cold and I didn't uh-huh. have an emotional connection to really anything or anybody. Wow. <laughs> so that's how it affected me. It kinda really it kinda really made me um not trust people, like not letting people get close to me. That's kinda how I was. That's I think that's how it showed up for me. Like, you know, I don't want to experience that level again, so nobody can get close to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. So for this me, like, in so relationships, people. Was, I'm sorry, go ahead. So, like, in relationships, it would be like this. If a guy started loving me too much, I would have to, like, break up with him. <laughs> wow. It would be like, I, wow. you know, he's, he's showing me. If a guy started expressing feelings and emotions for me early on, I was like, okay, I don't want to talk to him anymore. So yeah, it affected wow. me in a real backward, crazy kind of way, and I and I didn't even know I was so affected by it until I started really exploring myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it's all in the book, the journey of I'm becoming. It's like I had to start realizing, like, no, this is this is hindering you now in life. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's interesting because this is Tony <laughs> Kiba. I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you, did you realize those depressions as you were writing the book, or was it something that you was consciously aware of throughout the journey? So I knew that writing the book only because so I didn't become conscious of this. I would say until maybe four years ago. I was a person up until about mm-hmm. four years ago who really thought I was cool. Like I thought nothing affected me. Like I was good. And I got introduced to a doctor of metaphysics who's also an herbalist, you know, very much into the spiritual world. And once I started going to, like, sessions with him, I was able to start exploring and working through the trauma. So when I wrote the book, yes, I had already made the connection between, like, why I had been this way my whole life. It's like I fully understood Mm -hmm. it, but writing the book, though, I didn't really understand. I didn't know how much I had under how much I had grown and how much wisdom I really had gained over these years until I wrote the book. Wow. The book kind of helped me connect my own, a lot of my own dots. Mhm. Hmm. Now, were this is still Tony? Now, were you aware of this when uh, Sean approached you? Because here on Let's Chat, Leisha and I, we have such such great respect for Sean. You know, he he has such a broad and healthy aspect on on talent and on on mm-hmm. just seeing things in a different way and we respect that so he obviously saw something in you now had you even considered all the things that he brought to you as far as writing a book that you would be delving into this aspect of your life no no and no so sean i would say really? i would not have been able to write this book without his help and he kept mm-hmm. just reassuring me, this is a great story. People have to hear this. Like, you got to share this because I was so, like, so many parts. I'm like, ah, oh, no, we got to put that. It's like, no, you got to put that. You know, and just mm-hmm. really, like, people will benefit from this. So, no, nah, he did a great job. I wouldn't have been able to do it. Like, literally, he he walked me through the entire process. From A to mm-hmm. Z, it was so difficult for me to get started. I was overthinking everything and it was just, I was a mess in the beginning. Like, <laughs> it was very frustrating <laughs> to get into mm-hmm. a flow. He kept saying, you're going to get into your zone. Like, don't worry about it. And eventually I got into it where it just started clicking. The, the book just started mm-hmm. coming together. Um, 
you know, like naturally, but, but it was, it was difficult starting, but I would say we had a sit down after the board meeting. And once he kind of really heard a snapshot of my full story, he was like, Oh yeah. Like you have to share mm-hmm. the story. Like this is a great story. So he kept mm-hmm. saying that he kept saying, this is, this is like, this is equivalent <laughs> to cage bird. What my Angelo did was I know why the cage bird seems, seems he kept saying like your story is, this important is this powerful so i'm like okay <laughs> he's a writer he's a he's been doing this way longer than me so i just really trusted his guidance on it mm-hmm. and i'm not surprised you know he 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 has that ability to see inside you know and he i can't think of a better person you know to take take you under their wing so um mm-hmm. it's, it's good to it's good to hear it you know and it may be good for someone else you never know who's listening someone else may need to hear that so we thank you for sure for sharing that with us for sure and one thing i learned in this process too is that everybody has a story and especially if you've been through things in life and you've gained some wisdom that you can share it's like everybody has a valuable story to share so i feel like everybody can write a book honestly because i would never mm-hmm. consider myself to be a writer this was a new thing totally new i had never done it before i'm not a writer mm-hmm. but you know, I feel like everybody has at least one book they can probably share. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, do you see yourself writing another book? Definitely. Definitely several. Oh. Because writing people are reading written, it huh? now, and it's <laughs> so many questions, and I'm still learning. You know, I'm still kind of on, I'm not kind of, I am still on this journey, so. hmm I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still working through, um, you know, past trauma myself. So I feel right. like it's a nine. It's never ending. So it's it's always going to be more to share. It's always going to be a different perspective. You know, since I finished this book, I've had some things transpire in my life. It's like it's more, definitely more to share, and also some of the chapters. A lot of people want to know more. So I have. The way the book is written, you know, I could have went deeper into each part, but I feel like it's more of a snapshot. But I could go, mm-hmm. I could write a whole book about, now I could write a whole book about, you know, growing up with a father in prison, how that how that um, impacts you later in life. Mm-hmm. But in the book, you know, it's just a short part of the book, but I could write a whole book on that, a whole book on uh, being a teen mother. So it's, it's different things that I feel like I want to um, go into deeper and give more insight but definitely more books, <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it looks like the writing book has been, so we're excited to to see where your journey goes. But I'm not sure if you heard at the top of the show when Leisha and I opened up the show how, you know, we love getting a different perspective of an, a seasoned author and a new author, and especially on the on the same show. Because, it, mm-hmm. because we get to see and hear where they are in their journey. So it's very right. refreshing to hear a new author speak, you know. And, Absolutely. Um, and they can learn from each other, you know. So it's it's so refreshing when we get a new author and we hear the passion behind what it is that she's doing. <laughs> and, and their why. Um, how did mm-hmm. you heal the relationship um, between you and your father? Well, the thing about I would say with me and my dad, it wasn't it it wasn't like a 
it wasn't a relationship that I would say was like toxic or anything where it required a lot of healing. It was more so my father went to prison when I was two, but you know, we always visited throughout my childhood and things of that nature. So when he came home, I think we, I think me and my dad naturally just kind of have a bond where we, we can get along and understand each other. So it, my father went to prison when I was two. He did 10 years. He came home for 10, and then he went back for 10. And so, mm. like, now, my dad is here with me now. You know what I'm saying? So we just we just kind of have a – we can just – we just get along well. We just <laughs> – no, we, I don't know. We just kind of have a connection between each other that's just cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I so know you mentioned being like awkward or nothing. Go ahead. He came home. Like, oh, it, it was never like an awkward thing. Like, even when he came home and I was younger, it was just like a natural, like, we just kind of picked up. <laughs> and that was that. Where you left off. Yeah, absolutely. We mm-hmm. had uh, Brandy Davis. Um, and, and she, you know, always talks about her relationship with her father. And I think that when you have incarcerated parents, sometimes you have you know, a underlining type of of feeling, like mm-hmm. you left me or, you know what I'm saying, where it's something that has to be rebuilt within that relationship just to make it stronger. And it's always a process, especially as an adult, but having kids or having a child of your own, did you find mm-hmm. yourself overcompensating as a mother oh, yeah. uh, to oh. your to your child? For sure. Um, I had my son when I was 17. So my son, my son's father has always been present, but not, you know, uh, not doing what he should as a father. So my son always mm-hmm. knew his father. He was always close with his father's family. They were always very supportive and very helpful. So I did a lot of overcompensating because, you know, my son's dad would make promises. He wouldn't keep them. So, and I never bashed my son's dad. To my son ever so I would just you mm-hmm. know, he had to have all the name brand shoes clothes he always played sports he, could, he had every toy he wanted every game system he was just super 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 spoiled because I never wanted him to feel like you know he was missing out right absolutely now you know as a a, a parent most of the time in um, a relationship you have the man is considered the protector and the provider. Um, But when they're absent or they're not there consistently, the mother becomes the protector and the provider. But do you feel that your son um, learned that, that those key elements from you that as a, as a man, he's going to have to be a protector and a provider, or do you think that he, he will have to, I don't know, kind of experience that by seeing other men to show him what that is think, from a man's point of view. Um, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like he definitely could still use, like, some strong male guidance. But I know I did the best job that I could in terms of showing, you know, I'm a, I'm, <laughs> I always say I think I was meant to be the mother of a son just because of how I am. You know, I'm a more, I'm more of an alpha female, you know, more of a dominant, like, personality. So with my son, and I have a whole chapter about my son and how I was more, not this super nurturing, like, emotional mom, but I was always there for him. And he always saw me, you know, my son saw me going through college. He saw me building my businesses. So it's like he's witnessed, 
you know, my work ethic, the things that I do, you know, I try to instill um, things like him having integrity into his mind. So um, I feel like he has learned a great deal of, of good things from me, but also, too, and I write about this in my book, Just Being Transparent, when you have a child young and you're a single mom, you do a lot of things wrong as well. You know, I used to be a very, um, you know, have a very explosive temper, cuss people out like it was nothing. So, you know, my son witnessed a lot of that too. And so now that he's older, I tell him all the time, like, we're in damage control right now because you learned a lot of undesirable things from me. In addition to the good stuff, you still picked up on a lot of stuff where back then I was unaware. I wasn't conscious. I was just a young mom. You know, I didn't know about programming, about how kids really are mimicking and picking up everything that you're doing. So at this point in his life, he definitely, now my son just graduated from high school, he's definitely, you know, at a point where he has to be around some men that are doing the right thing so he can have that real mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's interesting, T, but this is Tony. Um, you know, we, we find that we have to identify ourselves because we've been told we sound so much alike. But, yeah, I but do. It's interesting <laughs> that, <laughs> but it's interesting to hear the dynamics. I know, right? The <laughs> dynamics that you had with your son and to know, you know, you spoke earlier about your relationships and how you felt and you wasn't as affectionate or you may not even realize, had realized you were going through that. Do you feel that you held back from your son, or did you overcompensate as the way you were just speaking as far as, as emotional? Do you feel that you was not – how can I say? Do you feel that you was as loving and emotional with your son, whereas you wasn't with the different with the men in your life? No. I feel like when he was younger, um, a lot of it, you know, my idea of love back then was, stuff you know let me Uh buy him as much stuff as possible this is how I show my love but Uh my patience with my son was always very short you know I would get annoyed really quick and Uh you know I write in my book in one part like my son probably saw the explosive side of me more than anybody you know so that's why I say damage control because now I have to step in I have to be more nurturing I have to be more understanding I got to have more patience with him Uh and you know what I'm saying? Things that I might have blew mm-hmm. up about, little things that he might have done that might have, oh, that might have annoyed me. It's like now I have to consciously be aware. And and you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I have to now demonstrate to him more of the way I would like for him to be as he progresses in life. Because, mm-hmm. you know, my son got so many of my personality traits when it comes to, like, I was always a rebel. I was always a person who authority was always a problem for me. <laughs> like um, jobs, all that type of stuff. Like I was really probably somebody that was born to be an entrepreneur. Like I was never somebody who could really stick to rules. So I see a lot of that in my son. You know, I was somebody who would be quick to go off if I felt somebody was disrespecting me. And it's like things like that. I'm trying to teach him now. You know, I used to handle things wrong. <laughs> a lot of uh-huh. how I handled situations raising you, it wasn't the right way. Mhm. Mm. And so I wanted him to understand that just because I was doing it then doesn't mean it was cool. Mhm. And so with us right now, mm-hmm. it's just it's just patient, but and we're kind of we're kind of building like a new normal between us as mother and son, and it's, and it's really good. Mhm. Wow, that's that's wonderful to hear. That 
It is wonderful to hear. And based on that, Kiva, this is still Tony. How therapeutic was it for you to write this book, for you to even be able to put a, a, a label or put, you know, put your stamp on how you feel in today? How therapeutic was it writing the book? It's very therapeutic. Um, very just free, liberated. And now I, I feel like, I feel like the book was kind of like my final hoorah with who I was before. You see, mm-hmm. so you can I write change. about kind of going through this like spiritual time where I really took a break. I stopped talking to everybody, like all of my family, everybody, except for like three mm-hmm. people, and it took really? a lot of time to myself and was able to point out a lot of toxicity that has been existing in my family and just really seeing like God, we kind of been stuck on this treadmill. Nobody's really progressing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you got to mm-hmm. remove yourself from the picture. Because if you're in the picture, you can't see it. So it's like I kind of stepped outside the picture frame, kind of just looking at my my whole family like dynamic, and it's just like wow, really seeing like it's a lot of trauma here. It's a lot of things that we got to work through. So I feel like the book was there. Yep. Mm. Absolutely. And it's funny because a lot of times people don't understand, you know, they always say strong women, they see us doing so much, but sometimes you can walk through life and just do things automatically, like like a robot, but really you Mm -hmm. could be missing you on the inside to where Mm -hmm. you're empty just walking around. And that's what Mm -hmm. makes it hard for you to connect with your kids sometimes or connect with relationships sometimes because you are really missing something. Uh, And And you are still completely empty. You explained that perfectly. Like that was me for a long time, just going through motions, but no real Mm -hmm. feelings. Right. Yeah. Like just like a robot. So what, what have you learned about yourself? through the whole process because you went through a reset period when you start talking to people and you just start cutting things <laughs> off that's like a re honestly that's like a reset period right. where you got to mm-hmm. reset yourself and reset your site what have you learned about yourself because there is growth there what I learned is I learned that I'm just totally someone opposite than who I thought I was before like, when I thought life was all about accumulating stuff and I was so caught up in materialism and I got to have this bag and this shoe and if, you know, if I'm not here, I'm not important, it's like I really realized, like, none of that stuff matters. Like, you got to just be happy with who you are at the core. And what I learned about myself is that I'm a really, a really quiet person. I'm really like a lot of time to myself. And I found that I find pleasure in the smallest things now, like, just uh-huh. being in nature, a beautiful day, you know, like healthy food. It's like my um, interests are totally different now. Like the things that um, I'm in, I'm intrigued by, um, the kind of people that are really kind of in my life that I deal with on a personal level. It's like a totally different thing. But I think the biggest thing I realized about myself through, through this journey is I was so lost before. Like I had no clue as to who I was or what my role or what I was supposed to be doing, you know, on this earth. And so now I just, mm. I feel like I know who I am. I'm confident in who I am. And, um, you know, I think I'm really in a space where I'm, the term, like, 
unbothered, unbothered, or you just you just are really okay with who you are. Like I'm really there at this point in my life. Where, like people can think what they want, say what they want. Like I know what makes me happy. I know who I am, and it's it's a good feeling. Like I, I feel like I just feel free more than anything. And I've always been a very private person, so a lot of what people are reading in this book, people who really would have said they were close to me, like this, even some people who may have considered me a best friend, they're going to read stuff in this book they never knew about me because I was mm-hmm. always very, very private. And so now that it's wow. out, I feel like I can now have dialogue with other people. I can talk about trauma now. I can talk about things that I've been through because it's no longer the secret that I feel like, oh, these are going with me to the grave. <laughs> Uh-huh. You know what I mean? mm-hmm. so right, and also give me the opportunity mm-hmm. to use to let other people find themselves in my story. Mm-hmm. Wow, Absolutely. and that's what some that's people are saying. Like, it's powerful. so real. Like, you know, I really have been through so many of the same things, and so that's the feedback I'm really like, and the people that are like, God, like, I've been through the same stuff. Like this, this resonates with me so deeply. Absolutely. I don't think people understand that when you lose other people, it's it's totally different than when you lose yourself. Um, and uh-huh. when you are lost and you don't have yourself, it's so, life is just different. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. have lost yourself, you have to really go through and make changes so that you get you back. Because if you don't mm-hmm. have you, it's a whole problem going on. Yep, that's so true. And I also think the uh, problem people. with most people is that it's scary too knowing who you are. It's scary to face your own demons. And it's hard to change. That's something I learned too on this journey. I see why a lot of people never change in life because it's very hard to you know, people are so afraid of what other people are gonna think. I think that holds mm-hmm. so many people back. And that was, like, something I had to break through. Like, you cannot care what nobody else is going to say or think about you. Like, you got to trust your own guidance, period. Mm -hmm. Now, you made a a large, healthy journey. Tell us how that was for you, um, making that change health-wise. To be honest, the eating healthy was the catalyst that really started the whole journey of me kind of going inward and exploring myself and mm-hmm. um it just really to, to be honest the eating healthy stemmed from me being in a very bad place and I was like I need to change and let me just start with taking better care of myself that was the mindset you know I wasn't really like oh I need to lose this amount of weight or I want I didn't have any specific goal I was like I just want to feel better I need to take better care of myself and the moment I started eating healthier, it was like stuff just started clicking. It was like the lights came on, and my soul was kind of like, finally, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're awakened a little bit. So the eating healthy was the thing that I think really opened my mind up for the spiritual part. And from there, just the, the journey just got deeper and deeper and deeper. But the eating healthy played a pivotal, the most pivotal role in it. Mm. I, I love it. it. Prior to, um, you know, I was just totally caught up. You know, I was that chick that was only worried about shopping and everything on the outside. You know, I was in a bad relationship, but it looked good on the outside, so I was okay with being in a bad relationship for like 10 years. 
So I was mm-hmm. that chick who looked like I had it all together. You know, I got a diamond ring on my finger. I'm wearing designer bags and shoes. I'm flying to Dubai. I'm going to Africa. I'm, you know, it looked really good, my life. But it was very, mm-hmm. very, very um, empty. I was very unfulfilled. And I was miserable. Mm. So I feel like, um, you know, I broke my ankle, and that was what prompted me to start eating healthy. So I feel like that was like a sign, you know, in hindsight. Like I needed some time to to really mm-hmm. get a moment, and it just took that moment of me having to sit still to realize I wasn't really happy because, like, prior to that, I really thought, like, you know, this is it. This is what my life is going to be about. Mm. Wow. I think a lot of people are sitting still thinking about things during this quarantine. So, so oh, yeah. you know, oh, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's real and it's true. And, I, you know, everybody's on that bandwagon, self-included. This is a great time. To do it's, time. Mm-hmm. it's a great time to start asking questions. That's what I started doing. I just started being like, what is my life really about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I started thoughts like that. Like, God, it's like I have all this stuff in my closet, but I'm still not really happy, happy. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. Start thinking about the intent. A lot of times, we don't ask ourselves why. We upset, mm-hmm. we're doing this, we don't, but we never ask ourselves, like, why, why are you doing this? Why are you feeling like this? Why is this okay? Uh, and we don't ask ourselves why enough. And I think that just your story is very, very inspiring to so many people. Um, and mm-hmm. not just women, just just in general, because so many people mm-hmm. have are experiencing where they have lost themselves. They, you know, need to be healthier. They need to make changes. They need to reset in life. And that whole mm-hmm. process is a hard process because re- a reset is more than just a few changes. It's a total life change. Now, yep, and if you dairy, it is it is a total life change because you might go. For real, I think if most people got silent and just cut out all the outside noise, you probably would not want to be in the relationship you're in or the career. Like, really, for Mm -hmm. real, most people are settling in so many aspects. They are settling in their careers. They're settling in relationships, even with friendships, everything. It's like, and that was what I had to realize. Like, you're not really doing anything that fulfills you. You are taking, like, the road that seems easier, but it's really not because it eats you up inside. Mm-hmm. And that was Absolutely. my when I first knew, like I knew the first step to me getting on my right path was to divorce my ex-husband. You see what I'm saying? But I know that most women in my shoes, I know this because all the women around me were telling me to stay in that relationship. But my spirit knew I had to leave that relationship to be who I was really supposed to be. But mm-hmm. I know in our society, there's so much pressure put on that. Most women will stay in relationships that are not fulfilling because they're security. Those people are going to think, or, you know, I should be married and I don't want to be single. Mm-hmm. And I have to just say kind of like F all of that. I have to be happy. I have to be fulfilled. And I cannot be that in this relationship, period. So mm-hmm. I have to leave. And it was very hard. People thought I was, people have thought I was crazy. For the majority of this journey, when I first started eating healthy, everybody was questioning what I was doing. And then after they saw results, it's like, oh, my God, I need some information. How can I start doing this? And so when I left my marriage, a lot of people thought, like, what? Like, are you crazy? 
but I knew it was the right thing for me to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, how did you get into CBD? Tell us about that journey for you, for uh, our listeners. Um, I've always been a consumer of uh, cannabis. Well, to be honest, I started being a regular consumer of cannabis when I broke my ankle because I had to get surgery. And the medication I was prescribed made me sick to my stomach, so I was using uh, marijuana as a pain reliever. And so I became a regular smoker after that. But I was somebody who really was still caught up in the stigma and shame of it, so I never wanted people to know I smoked. Like, it was a secret, top secret. Like, I never told people I smoked. And so um, on this journey of me just kind of tapping more into myself, I did. I struggled with, with my love for smoking. Mm-hmm. And I tried to force myself to stop several times. Then something just told me research this plant. And when I started doing research and realized like how amazing this plant is and how many medical benefits there are, and that it's been used literally since the beginning of time. Like that we have receptors in our body specifically for cannabis. And when I started realizing that the whole stigma around it was created to put black men in prison for the most part. And um, so that, like, the big pharma companies could put all these medications out. I'm like, okay, so it's really nothing wrong with me doing this. So when I fully embraced it, that was when a lot of things started clicking in my life, too. And I just said, this is who I am. This is something I like doing. And instead of me trying to hide doing it, I want to speak out and let people know I do it and let people know the benefits of it. So, um... That's what led me to openly talking about cannabis and deciding I want to be an advocate and I want to educate people about it because I want to help break the stigma associated with it. You know, I was a a holistic health coach for a long time. You know, once I went through my lifestyle change journey, I started coaching other people on transitioning into plant-based eating and getting away from Mm processing. So I work primarily with black women, and black women suffer from more health issues than anybody else when it comes to everything cancer, high high cholesterol, anxiety, depression, I mean, everything. And so once I started doing more research on cannabis and I'm realizing, like, this plant can help people with so many of these issues, I kind of felt like I had to start speaking out. And the moment I did, I have never received more feedback from women, like, thank you so much for educating about this, for speaking out about it, for being open, because it's helping people. Like, I have gotten so many messages from people, like, I've been on medication for years, nothing has helped, this is the first thing that has given me relief. So, you know, again, it was just in my spirit, something that said, you got to do it. And that was something else that was very liberating, because two years ago, I would have never posted about smoking or posted myself smoking, ever. But now it's kind of like, you know, I want to let people know that this is something that should be normal. If you can drink a glass of wine or smoke a cigarette, and those really don't do anything to help you health-wise, there should be no shame in smoking a joint when it's medicine. <laughs> right. Whether and it's, it's funny that you mentioned it. marijuana, whatever part of the plant you want to consume, all of mm-hmm. it has medicinal value. And it's funny that you mentioned that. My cousin turned 102 today, and I talked to her on yesterday, and she doesn't take any medication. And the first thing when we were talking, she talked about, she was like, I don't understand. People take medication 
and nothing is wrong. But she said what she noticed is we do things out of habit so much. We'll take mm-hmm. medication and we don't know why. And if we don't have these certain symptoms or certain issues, we'll still take it because somebody said so. But we're not paying attention to the fact that we're taking it every day and it's not doing nothing. You know, and when she said that, you know, she talked about, like, different things that she had to just experience health-wise just around her. And Mm -hmm. it's true. We don't take time to think about a lot of things. We don't, you know, she's 102. I don't even think she's vegan. You know what I'm saying? You're 102 right. years old. You got your right mind. You you got mm-hmm. your apartment. You 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 just live it, and you've experienced so much that a lot of us won't even be able to see. Yep. Because we're not paying attention. No, and we're like you said, we are like living in a time where people are so concerned about the things that really are not important but they seem important and yes. normally health is put like on the back burner and so people don't think about health at all until normally they get diagnosed with something and then from there it's like oh let me just take this medication I'm not going to do any research on it you know it's all kind of side effects it's leading to other problems now mm-hmm. and it's like we have the liberty now to take our health into our own hands because the information is all out there but like you said, we're a lot of us are just programmed to go with whatever we're told. We don't even question it. We just, oh, you know, somebody said do this. Let me just do it. Somebody come right. say this. Said it's gonna make me feel better. better. Right. right. Even if you don't exactly. feel better, I'm just gonna do it because they said so. And you know, mm-hmm. if if you could drop five jewels on um, someone that is trying to be healthier or thinking about being healthier or having uh, issues. Um, just making that health change. Drop drop five jewels on them to help them get through it. The first jewel would be understanding that nutrition is the most important aspect. It's way, way more important than exercise. You could never exercise in your life and focus all of your energy on eating the right food, and you could be completely healthy. So a lot of people have that backward. They go, oh, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to do this, but then they don't, they eat whatever. So what you put in your body has a direct impact on how you think. It has a direct impact on your mood, on, on everything. So nutrition is the key to living a, a long, healthy life. And when I say nutrition, I mean eating real food. You do not have to be vegan to live a healthy life. It's just understanding that the majority of what you eat should be Fresh fruits and vegetables, period. No matter what type of diet, no matter what type of diet. When I say diet, I don't mean like going on a diet. I just mean a day-to-day. The majority Uh of that should be fresh. It should not be from a box or a can. And nobody should be eating meat every single day because that's not how we evolved as humans. And that's why we have so much sickness today. Most people Uh overconsume. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure the majority of what I eat is fresh fruits and vegetables. I'm going to drink water as much as possible, and I'm going to stay away from highly processed foods. That will help you with half of battle. The second jewel would be to read everything. When you go in the grocery store, try to not go grocery shopping hungry so you have time to actually read labels because something can say fat-free, healthy, organic on the front of the box, and when you turn it around, it's full of artificial ingredients. You know, these companies are not regulated. They can say whatever they want to say. 
So you as a consumer, you have to know that your health is your responsibility. These companies can say whatever they want to say. You know, they throw mm-hmm. organic on everything now. They throw vegan on everything. Like, you can't have organic candy. You can't have organic soda. It's it's not healthy, period. <laughs> Even if it's right. for organic. It, it, you can't mm-hmm. have organic candy. How? Tell me how. <laughs> so exactly. you gotta just halfway, understand why it's like how you putting organic on something that's not even a natural substance. So how can it be organic? So um, understanding too that you have a choice. Another jewel would be that you don't have to take what a doctor tells you. A lot of doctors are not knowledgeable about holistic healing. Medical, doctors go to medical school and if they don't learn or take it upon themselves to go deeper in their education. They learn how to prescribe medication and do surgery. Most doctors do not know about nutrition. They don't learn about nutrition in medical school. I know this because I went and spoke to doctors at Morehouse School of Medicine. I'm a self-taught health coach. They're asking me questions about herbs, about plants, about different things. So most doctors are not knowledgeable about holistic health. So you got to question Most of them are not. Yeah, right. and they were against it. Really, if you think about it, a lot of times they were against it. And it seems like just recently um, you have more doctors that are like, okay, yeah, that could work. Before it was like, no, we stay away from all of that. Because they weren't trying to make this. you take medicine. It's in their exactly. uh-huh. it's for money to make you take the drugs. Not to say, oh, yeah, you could go home and get on a plant-based diet for three weeks, and this will lower your heart, your cholesterol, your blood blood pressure. I've had people do plant-based just for three weeks and come off of medication. So your body Mm -hmm. does, it doesn't take long for your body to start healing. Your body knows what it needs. If you took a detox from all processed foods, fast foods, and really said, okay, I'm going to cook my meals, I'm going to make sure everything I eat is Again, it doesn't always have to be organic. You don't have to be vegan, but if your meals if your meals are fresh, you know, you could have a baked sweet potato, some wild caught salmon and some grilled asparagus on the side. That's a whole food meal right there. You see what I'm saying? Everything is mm-hmm. everything is fresh. Nothing has artificial ingredients. So if people just got into that mindset of let me try to eat as much fresh food as possible. Yeah. Make sure my food doesn't have a whole paragraph of ingredients in it. You'll be you'll you'll start feeling better immediately. Um, another would be I think that was four. <laughs> so the fifth would be um, really this was something that that works for me. And a lot of people have asked me to this day, how do you stay focused? And it's because I made a mental change first. I made an agreement with myself that I had to make my health a priority because this is the only body that I have. I will never get another one. Nothing is more important than my health. So me making that mental change and really saying, this is my vessel. Like, this is priceless right here. How can anything else be more important than this? How can I be too busy to eat healthy? That's crazy. How can I be too busy to exercise? It's like I had to make the decision to make my health my priority. Because guess what? If I get cancer, if I get heart disease, and I have to leave this earth prematurely, then, you know, I'm leaving my son. I'm leaving, you know, all this stuff behind because I did not make the decision to prioritize my health. So that would be the last thing okay. is really understanding that self-care is it, you got to put yourself first so you can be the best you for everything and everybody else that you're connected with. Mm-hmm. 
That's true. And so times where I do feel like, oh, you know, I'm not always motivated, but all I got to do is like, okay, yeah, I got to do it. You know, I just dedicate. It doesn't take a lot of time. Dedicate an hour a day to your health. Mm-hmm. The least you could do. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Now we gotta have you back on. We gonna need you a little longer because we always do like a we always do like a healthy segment show. Because I always I'm always trying to go vegan, but I have this thing about nasty things in my mouth. I'm sorry, if it's nasty, I just can't do it. I have a 21 day challenge. You guys send me your information, I'll send it to you. I have a 21 day vegan challenge, and I created it in 2016 because I was a vegan was just it like went crazy when I first became vegan. It wasn't a buzz scene yet. It was. It wasn't a thing everybody was talking about. So I mm-hmm. had so many people asking me about transition, and I created this 21-day challenge and showing people you don't have to restrict yourself. You don't have to feel deprived. You can still eat really great meals that taste great. And um, I've had people lose 20 pounds in three weeks, come off of high blood pressure, high cholesterol medication in three weeks. Like literally in 21 oh. days, come off of antidepressants, all of this just by following a plant-based diet. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> so I'm telling Listen, you, your body, sometimes it starts, is it addictive. Right. Meat is addictive. Like, I really don't eat, um, I don't eat pork often. But sometimes it's just like, like a sharp, sharp craving. Like, I got to have bacon. It's like, mm-hmm. I got to. It's like I feel it just all in my body, and I guess got to have it. And then when I eat it, I'm like, eh. You know, and that's already that. mental. So it's a process. When you learn to get – it's a process. And see, a lot of, for a lot of us, we have allowed our body to take control of us when it comes to food. And we don't – Our emotions. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And you got to really have that willpower and know that you are in control of this, you know, but that takes time. But it's the same thing for me. Meat was easy to give up. For me, it was cheese. Cheese was the devil. Ooh, like, oh cheese. My oh, my God. Listen. Cheese, like, man. I changed. Like, when I <laughs> looked, I looked at some documentary that talked about cheese, and it was like uh, I stopped eating like Velveeta type cheese, but I I love cheese so much. I was like, I need more natural cheese. So I would mm-hmm. eat like white, you know, because cheese is white. It doesn't have a color to it, and they have to put something in it to color it. And so, but some of this white Vermont cheddar is like my best friend. You know, one of them friends that always keep you in trouble, and then when something go down, they ain't there. <laughs> Y'all have a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a good time. Cheese has um, <laughs> literally has enzymes in it that make it highly addictive. That's why everything tastes better. You feel comfort when you eat cheese. So it has a lot of enzymes in it that make you addicted to it. But if you are going to eat it, definitely um, you want to try to eat organic cheese that doesn't have a lot of processed stuff in it. You definitely want to stay away from. Velveeta, those um, like craft singles, that's not even cheese. If you pay attention to the product, it says cheese like product. It doesn't even say cheese on it because it's not real. It's completely made up, completely artificial. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's true. Tea over there. Wow. Tea is just rolling. <laughs> <laughs> we so 
appreciate you coming so and kicking with us in the chat. That's normally a hard one for most people, though, to be honest. She's is Man, she's, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I will fight you. And if it, listen, <laughs> listen. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yep, our girl, I can give up a lot girl. of things, but I got to have, like, I, I try to get, pay, stay away from it, so I don't have it as often. But I, if I had to give something up, I'd give up uh, beef because I don't eat that all the time. I'd probably give up pork because I don't eat that all the time before I gave up cheese. I'd give up milk before I gave up cheese. <laughs> and to be honest, it's a process. So, like, for me, I was able to cold turkey, stop eating meat because, again, for me it was mental. I started learning about it, and that's what I always tell people to do. Start learning about your food and where it comes from. So I started getting completely grossed out by meat. And I used to love lamb chops. I used to love steak. Um, you know, I used to eat a lot of meat. Once I started learning about where this meat was coming from, how it's manufactured, how disgusting the facilities are, it, it was just like, ah. Uh, like, I started getting completely grossed out every time I would eat it. I would feel disgusted. So the mental shift for me was funny. Certain meat. It was everything. Like, it was tasty. It was too much. It was just like, and then started noticing the changes in my body as soon as I stopped eating meat. Like, and this may be T, this is a little bit TMI, but I'm going to say it because a lot of people don't know it. Like, when you start eating healthy, when you go to the restroom and do number two, it doesn't have a smell. So, you get to really see that meat, cheese, all that stuff rots in your body and that's why when yeah. you go to the bathroom, it's a terrible smell. It's like that is inside of you. So for me again it was all these mental things and once I started being like, Well, I actually feel better when I'm not eating it. And you know, I was a cheese lover. I never noticed that cheese affected me until I stopped eating it. Now if I eat some cheese, if something has dairy in it, I'm immediately gonna get a suffocate. I know that it has dairy in it the moment it gets in my mouth. And I wasn't like that before, but it's like once you stop eating certain things, when you go back, your body lets you know, like, and most people are lactose intolerant. Almost all black people, they are. Color period, are lactose intolerant because it's not something natural that we've naturally evolved on as people. So if I know that my body feels better when I don't have it, and no, it sometimes I will still give in and like I'm eating a piece of spicy pizza and I will pay for it gravely. <laughs> the next day, my stomach is gonna be crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. See, we gonna have to have you have you back on for our healthy segment because we always have that you know do a healthy segment um, at least like around winter time. Just because people are thinking about they're in the house more in the wintertime, they're thinking about being healthier at the beginning of the year. Um, summertime, they, you know, talking about being summertime time. So we always like to be able to help people during that For time. Sure. So make sure we have you back on to talk that talk with us. Now, right, and I love, like to show people this way. That when you eat your way to health, it's so much better because you really learn what you Exercising is, is, is important, too, but the nutrition is way more important. If you get the nutrition Very down, true. you never have to worry. And a lot of people think eating healthy or being healthy is about eating a little bit. It's like, no, when you're eating the right stuff, you don't have to worry about calories. And, oh, my uh-huh. God, it's too much carbs. It's like you can eat peacefully as much as you want. And you know that, you know, this isn't going to make me gain weight. This isn't going to uh, negatively affect my health. And that's what I like to show people, like, I have a hell of an appetite. 
I tell people I eat a lot. I just eat a lot of the right stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So here on Let's Chat, we always like to do something fun with our guests. We like to be able to allow our listeners to experience them uh, and experience the why behind the things that they do and just kind of experience their vibe and energy. And so mm-hmm. he's going to give you a fun question. I don't know what she's going to ask. So if you got some pearls, go ahead on clutch them now because I don't know. I don't know. I'm just here. I'm just here listening. I, I don't know what she's going to ask. This is all on her. <laughs> oh, 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 no, this way. <laughs> Holy. Well, Kiko, thank you so much for joining Alicia and I here on Let's Chat tonight. And we definitely have to have you back in the chat room because there's so many facets of you. So I'm sure you'll fit on any show that we have. But just one question, it's, it's going to be a little brain tease, and I'm going to tap into the love of you and Leash meat, you know, the, the love of meat for the both of you. <laughs> so there's a, clerk that works, there's a clerk that works in the butcher shop, and he stands about 5 feet 10 inches tall. What does he weigh? Yes! One more time. <laughs> Okay. I'm gonna say it again, and I'm tapping into the new Alicia's love of meat. So just think, I'm okay. going to the butcher shop. So there's a clerk that works in the butcher butcher shop, and he stands about five feet ten inches tall. What does he weigh? <laughs> He's laughing, Lisa. You tell me. <laughs> I ain't okay. He he's five feet tall and he me. works in the butcher shop. He weighs meat because he's a butcher. Oh, Lord, no. See, that went totally <laughs> over my head. I was thinking in the gutter. I was like, oh, this is one of them jokes. My my thoughts was all the way on the wrong end of the spectrum. See? <laughs> you, you was in the wrong shop. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm like, meat, clerk. That's how my mind started thinking, oh, Lord, this is going to be some crazy stuff. <laughs> That's just a little brain teaser. We love ending our show with our guests on a fun note, so we thank you for playing along. (laughs) No problem. I love it. I love it. So on your way out the chat room, I want you to shout out all of your social media, uh, where everybody can get your books. If you have a website, make sure you mention that as well. Uh, And if you have any virtual events coming up. Okay, well, first I want to say thank you guys for having me. You can find me on Instagram at Kiba underscore Richardson. I am Kiba Richardson on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow my cannabis page. That's Pretty Women Love Cannabis underscore on Instagram and also Pretty Women Love Cannabis on YouTube. So if you are interested in ordering a copy of the memoir, The Journey of Unbecoming, you can order directly from my website at KibaRichardson.com. And the book will be signed by me personally. And I do actually have a virtual Q&A and read coming up this Sunday for everyone who's purchased the book so far. And I will be having more um, virtual Q&As coming up and also having, um, I want to do like a virtual workshop around just the dialogue about trauma in our community. So not sure Mm -hmm. the date yet, but that's probably the next thing I'm going to have. After this, okay. Awesome. 
Make sure you tag me tonight so we can spread that yeah, word so as well. Yeah, so we can share that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Absolutely. Maybe I can come back on before then, so I'll definitely keep you guys posted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if we can do a Let's Chat Live segment, that would be dope, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Just let me know. All right. Awesome. Well, we so appreciate you coming to kick it with us in the chat room. Uh, Sean is on next, so always Pleasure. you're welcome to listen. Okay. Take care, Kiva. Right, Thank ladies. you. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great night. You too, okay, Kiva. You too. All right. That was fun, Lisa. She is great. And she is great. Mm-hmm. That was fun. We so appreciate y'all kicking it with us in the chat room. If you're just tuning in, no worries. If you missed the interview, just go back on our archives here on blogtalk.com as well as iTunes and iHeartRadio. You'll be able to listen to her interview in its entirety. We have our next fabulous guest. We did our topic just for him. Then now it's a short time. That's what happens whenever he comes into the chat room. We talk about some everything. We all over the world. We know sent corners and everything else. So, uh, but he has a new book getting ready to drop. Skin deep three. Skin deep. <laughs> skin deep three. Skin deep three. And so I'm excited. Hey Sean. Hey, what's going on, family? Hey Sean, welcome to Let's Chat. <laughs> Oh, thank you, ladies, for having me. How's it going? Good. You know, we love to have you in the chat room. We always enjoy your presence. You always give us a little bit of something extra. So, you guys, tell everybody what you've been cooking in your creative kitchen. Uh, You do so much. I know last time you were working on a soundtrack um, to go with your book. Tell us what you've been working on. Just completing the soundtrack for Dirty Music, but more importantly, I'm so excited about CND3. It's going to be released in June 12th right now. That's our tentative date, June 12th. And so CND3 is the completion of the trilogy of the book CND. It's the second series in my Gangster Rodica titles, and I'm so excited about seeing how it's going to end. If you recall from CND1, it starts in the present, right? And there's a guy mm-hmm. in the beginning, he says, I want her dead. That's how the book starts. I want her dead, right? So pretty much he's mm-hmm. hiring a contract killer to kill this beautiful supermodel. And that's how Scandi 1 starts. So then Scandi 1 and Scandi 2 took it back to the past of how it got to that part. So now in Scandi 3, it brings everything full circle, and you get a chance to see why this man wanted her dead. So I'm super excited about it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Mm. Wow. I love it. I love it. Go ahead, see. No, I was going to ask you, Sean, why did this spin the way you did it? Because, first of all, when you open up a, a, a book and the first line is, I want her dead, that's something that's going to be read to the end. So that's always a grab for a reader. But why did you take that journey between the three books? Well, because, so Skin Deep is the first story that I've ever written that's totally fiction. All of my other projects were kind of loosely based on parts of my life or people that I've known, right? And so this is the mm-hmm. first time I've ever written a book, like purely imagination. So it was kind of fun. But more importantly, if you recall, the book starts off, like I said, in Jersey, and then it takes place. It goes back to Ethiopia to the past, all the way back to the time of Helis Selassie, right? And this is a book that spans generations. It's, a, it's an epic story is what it is. So I wanted to sh- draw a whole arc out and tell the story and kind of in real time account for the gaps also because you meet someone in the beginning, mm-hmm. Menelik and Makita, 
they're 17 years old, and in Scan Deep 3, they're 30. So this thing, almost a whole generation going through. Mm-hmm. Wow. Interesting. Now I'm, you I'm, take... I'm, I'm, I'm a better writer. Mm-hmm. I was well, just going to ask right you, how has your, mm-hmm. your being grown from the first mm-hmm. book that you wrote yeah. to now? Um, mm-hmm. So when I wrote Skin Deep 1 and Skin Deep 2, I was still inside, if you know what I mean, on vacation, right? So mm-hmm. at Skin Deep 3, so, so when you're back there, yeah, all you have are your memories, right? So I didn't know things like social media at that time. I didn't know how the world mm-hmm. had changed. So mm-hmm. it's kind of good that I waited this long because with Skin Deep 3, now you're getting me in real time. Like literally, I, I still haven't stopped writing it right now. I'm going to finish up this weekend. That's how serious this is. So mm. I'm a lot better writer now because I have more experience. You know, I've, I've, and since Skin Deep 1 and 2, I've already written four books in between then. So my pen has grown a lot better. I can, I'm a better storyteller. I'm a better writer. And you will get to see all mm-hmm. of that exemplified in this new title. Mm. Wow. Now, this is Tony. Sean, I want to ask you, how much fun was it? pen in part three because like like you just sh- shared with us your pen has grown you've written a few books in between how much fun was it and how how confident in you went within your pen writing in deep three <laughs> okay <laughs> that's a great question i'm going to say this humbly right okay um i'm just going to say i know what i'm doing now it's a difference like so as a writer <laughs> But like when you heard Kiba talk earlier, she was mentioning about getting finding your your tone, your voice, right, your flow. And so mm-hmm. every writer has something that makes them distinct from everyone else, right? The right. thing that makes me distinct is I'm very detailed when I write. I want you to be able to see everything. However, you still have to pace it, otherwise the story gets slowed down. So I'm learning things like I've taken writing courses since I wrote part one and two. I've taken script writing courses, which also amplifies my writing style. So it's just fun to me because I don't have the pressure of saying, okay, it's just right. And then, you know, fortunately I have a fan base now too, so I'm eager to feed them. It's not like when I was writing part one and two, I wasn't even considering a literary career. You know, I was just writing it for the fun of it. But now I made some money in the game, and now I'm a little more stable, so I can just write for fun. I don't have to write for money. And so it's just mm-hmm. me having fun. Mm-hmm. Now, thanks to Alicia, you know, she has got me on the T-Styles book, you know. I was I was very hesitant <laughs> yeah, for years, dope. for years to pick up her book, right? But she told me to just give it a chance, and I did. And she took us all over the globe. Now, you mentioned Ethiopia. How authentic mm-hmm. do you, how much authenticity do you give your readers when you when you speak or have your characters in Ethiopia? Because now I'm spoiled with Miss Styles. <laughs> So, so everything, so Skin Deep is an international thriller. Not only are they in Ethiopia, right? They go through Germany. They go through other parts of Europe. Uh-huh. They go through Jersey. They go through Miami. They go through South Carolina. Everywhere I've been, with the exception of Ethiopia, everywhere in this book are places I've actually been. So um, wow. it's very, very accurate. So for the parts of mm-hmm. Ethiopia, I got a lot of African friends, and one in particular, he kind of acted as my guide to kind of fill in the holes. And other than uh-huh. that, just a lot of research. I studied Rastafarianism a long time, and that's a lot. A lot of that's rooted in Ethiopia. So, and even with that, okay. you know, I've always felt like to edutain, right? So mm-hmm. I'm putting the medicine inside the candy. I want our people to know what it's like to go back to Africa. Like I got a new book coming out, take place in Ghana, but that's another story. 
But uh, uh-huh. I really want people to know our history. For example, Ethiopia and Angola are the two only African nations that have never been colonized by an outside power. Every other nation in Africa has been colonized by either the French, the Portuguese, Dutch, or Spanish, right? Uh-huh. Ethiopia has a very rich history. From the time of King Solomon in the Bible, from the time of King Solomon in the Bible up until right just before Hela Selassie, someone from his lineage was on the throne of Ethiopia from the from biblical times to current. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And there was a, a small interruption prior to Hela Selassie reascending the throne where um and it wasn't necessarily a foreign power, it was a female, right? And so that's where I got the name from Akita, by the way. If you recall in the Bible, Sheba, uh, Queen Sheba, her name was not Queen Sheba. She was the Queen of Sheba. Her name was Makita. And that's where I got this name mm. from. Uh, the name Menelik, right? If you go back in Ethiopian history, Menelik was a great ruler as well. So these, I'm, I'm, I'm putting the medicine outside the candy. I know what our people like to read, so I'm giving them that also. Mm-hmm. But when you go back mm-hmm. into the research, it's very accurate. Very much so. Mm. Okay. Did you say Queen Tony or Queen Nikita? I'm sorry. I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell y'all about Tony. this one here. We love when he comes on. His mind is just so dynamic and awesome. Just, just we can talk about anything with Sean and go all different directions, and he just go right along with it. <laughs> hey, look, like I caught, I caught it in the window earlier. Yeah, I caught the innuendo early. I was like, man, I need to be on this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know we stay things up here on Let's Cash On. <laughs> I was like, look at him, little low-key. <laughs> <laughs> see, we try to grow. We try to grow. You, that's, see, this is the thing. Sean is a very smart man, y'all, let me tell y'all. But just as women... To be in, just to have a smart, a man that has that to help you grow, we always make sure that when he's on the show, we're doing something that that has growth, because if we don't, then we won't be able to see his growth. So we got to ask, you know, stuff that we don't normally ask the regular guests. We are able to talk about things that we don't normally talk about with regular guests, only because he helps to bring that out. And we have fun with it. So it's super Mm -hmm. dope whenever he comes on the show. And I think he'd be disappointed, Sean, if we didn't show growth. Am I right? All right. Yeah, I told y'all like, look forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, Sean, you got so much going on. Um, and it's so much going on in our society. Give us your thoughts about all the different things that are going on, because I know you got thoughts about it. Yeah, I do. Um so I'm going to share this with you. People who know me, they know. But I'm going to share this with you ladies, right? And so mm-hmm. about – actually, the book is almost 10 years old. I wrote a book called Tainted Ambition, right? Mm-hmm. And it's about a nation inside of a nation. I'm going to release it. I'm, I'm going to release it under my pen name, Truth Be Told, but it's almost ready to go. And it's about a nation inside of a nation. And so when I wrote that book, you know, what's been going, what's been going on today has been going on for a while. And – I used mm-hmm. to get emotionally exhausted talking about it. I used to, you know, engage in intellectual stimulation. I used to say intellectual masturbation about what we need to do. And so I'm a student of history, right? And never mm-hmm. has there mm-hmm. ever been a time in history where the oppressors gave anything to the oppressed. The oppressed had to take mm-hmm. it. You know, when the Europeans came to this country, they didn't ask the natives for it. They took it. 
You know what I'm saying? Anywhere in the world when a, when a, a radical change was made, you know, they took that. They didn't ask for it. So I wrote that book called Tainted Ambition. It was my answer to what we need to do. And it's pretty much, to, in a nutshell, we need to um, we need to have our own, quite frankly, integration. This is going to be a little controversial, but I can back it. Integration mm-hmm. was the worst thing that happened to us here in this country. One of the worst things. Let me say that. I'm going to say one of the worst. But definitely integration because integration is a misnomer. We didn't really integrate. We assimilated. Integration uh-huh. is when you exchange the two, when you merge the two together. We didn't do that. We assimilated. You didn't have white people marching to black schools and say, hey, let us get in. It was the other way around. Therefore, right. the curriculums didn't change. The teaching didn't change. The curriculums didn't change. So we still learn about white history. You know, we still mm-hmm. learn about uh, only black history. We learn about primarily slavery. Only when we research our own did we, did we um, start learning about knowledge itself. And to sum everything up, until we know who we are, where we've been and where we're going, this is going to continue to happen. As long as we're trying to assimilate ourselves into someone else's culture that was never designed for us. You know, as the uh-huh. Vince Louis Farrakhan said, we were meant to be the nation. We, we weren't meant to be citizens of this country. We were meant to be burden bearers of this country. It has never changed. Uh-huh. Only by uh-huh. our grit, determination, willpower, and faith have we even sustained this long. So we got to stop playing, man. These are people, if you look at what police really were, look at a sheriff badge. Back in the day, that was called a slave patrol badge. So we got to know our history, uh-huh. man. They have been sworn to keep us under because here's the thing. In order for one people to be superior, another people have to be inferior in a capitalist society. Mm-hmm. And historically, that's that has true. been us. Mm-hmm. And, so, and this is Tony Sean, but it, and, and until then, mm-hmm. you know, you have to change your mindset. Mindset mm-hmm. plays such a key role in how you see yourself, and more importantly, how others see you. This is true, man. I mean, listen. I can't stress this enough. We have to obtain the proper knowledge itself. You know, it's going to be a little controversial, but it's honest. We got to give them back their education. And by by them, I'm talking about the system. Let me say that. We have to give them back their education. We have to give them back their religion. We have to give them back their their, uh, medicine, their food. We have to give all all that stuff that's belonging to them. Because we're still mm-hmm. operating in their frequency as long as we're taking their gods to be our gods, their education to be our education, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it starts with your mental diet. We got to rid ourselves of these mental parasites. Shout out to Dr. B. And we also have to rid ourselves of everything that was given to us. Why would they give us something? If we were meant to be slaves, why would they give us something that's going to liberate us? It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. We have to understand who our open enemy is. And, and, and you know, it is what it is, man. The time for mints and words is over. We have to understand who our who our open enemy is, right? And and you know, in in the jungle, a dog and a cat see each other. That automatic, they're not gonna hang together. They're gonna pew. They're gonna get. They're gonna get get away, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So why are we still thinking that it's okay? And let me say this real quick. I don't mean when I say. Let me say this. If if there's a snake in a village, right? And it bit my grandfather. It bit my father, it bit my uncle, it bit my nephew, it bit everybody. If I warn me and my family about watching out for that snake, that's not, that does not make me racist or prejudiced. It makes me smart. Mm-hmm. So, right. historically speaking, historically speaking, these Americanisms has been the detriment of us. And it's going to continue until we reclaim our own, our, our own culture. That's it. 
Now I, I got a question. This is Leisha, and I, I I asked Kiva a portion of this question, but I want to ask you just to get a different uh, thought process on it, only because you know most of the time our men are supposed to be our protectors and our providers, but we are in a position to where the women have to be the protectors and the providers um, of our children. And so many times you have you have it to where. Um, people will tell a woman, a single mother, because that's that's what the norm is, a single mothers, mm-hmm. um, oh, you're too overprotective, instead of saying, because that's, that's your child's um, example of what a protector and a provider is, because your father is not mm-hmm. there for whatever reason. Um, as a mm-hmm. man, what, what are your thoughts on how to heal our black men and help to be able to uh, restore them. Because right now, you know, women are in this position um, because we have to be a lot of the times, you know, we have to protect, Mm. we have to provide. That's what we have to do because nobody else is going to do it if we don't, but we have Um. to be able to also know that our men have to heal because they're broken. So as a man, how do you, Heal your broken part. Take accountability. You have to understand that you are broken if you are indeed broken. Let me, let me, ask, mm-hmm. let me go back to your question. Though. When you say heal, when you say what can a black woman do to heal the black man, or just in general, what do we, how do we heal ourselves? Just in general, because you really healing is something that has is internal. That's something that a person has to this do. Is true. Um, we can encourage a healing process. But if somebody is not willing or, or able or they don't, they have not even considered themselves broken, there's nothing that you can do, whether you're a man or a woman. That person That's has correct. to go through the process of learning and understanding that. If I want things to change, I need to understand my why. You know, why, why do I do this? Why am I doing this? Why do I feel this way? Because you can't heal unless you understand why. But, you know, yeah. I, can't, it, I can't say as a man what that healing mm-hmm. process is like. You know what I'm saying? Because y'all well, have to heal, but y'all have to heal in a different way from different things. You, you know, the biggest thing that a man can do to heal is be a man. Because so many times in this society, like being a man, that's why I do my man talk series, right? Because there's an attack on manhood and black masculinity in particular, right? And unfortunately, mm-hmm. our women have taken into that. Because, you know, I'm going to, oh, this is going to, I'm on one tonight, but it is what it is. Okay. Well, you hear that term narcissism, right? What you, what you mean? We, we've taken into that because I think that we I'm, have. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to break it down. Okay. I'm going to break it down. All right, go ahead. So, so what makes a man, particularly a black man, you know, what makes us different? What makes us, because we're natural leaders, what they call the warrior gene, but we're natural leaders. We're not, we, we're lions and society wants us to be kittens. You understand what I'm saying? And so society is in the head of our black women as well. Like when you hear when you hear our women call our men things like narcissists, right? That's tearing a man down because pretty much what our women call a narcissist is really a man operating in his full manhood to an extent. Now, narcissism is a uh, a word that's that's, that's a, a mental disorder. But when you hear a lot of women because they can't break a man down, they call a man a narcissist, right? And she's contributing to the process. A man, see, most men don't even know who they are in this society to their late 20s, early 30s. 
but we're still living our lives. So we have numerous contact with, you know, women um, and society in general. So if you, you, by the time you're 30 years old, if you dated five women and it didn't work out, at some point those women blame you for that, right? Oh, you broke my heart. You did this to me. You did that to me, right? So now these men 30 years old, now they're dealing with trauma. So now they're looking at that and say, I don't want a relationship anymore because all they did was tear me down, right? Or, or, and so now you have me, mm-hmm. uh, our men going to different races, and they don't. We're not going to be accepted over there either. So now we're lost. We're lost. We have no allies. The government is against mm-hmm. us, right? Society is against us. The police is against us. Now our own women against us. Something broke my heart, man. My my own niece. Damn. I, anyway, my niece just two days ago posted on Facebook talking about maybe I'm going to get me a white man now because the black man ain't doing it. You know how that hard it hurt me as a black man. But this is the thing. Now that's okay. different because you love you love who you love. I want to go back though because you said that we're taking into it. Are we taking into it? Or are we stepping up into a, a position that was left empty? That's a necessity. You know, we have to be able to do mm-hmm. certain things. I understand the narcissist part, but there are females that are narcissists. That's just uh, really a broken person that doesn't know how to to really control or or go through the things that they they ha- they're going through without hurting other people. You know, hurt people, hurt people. Great point. That's just a process. Great point. Um but I just feel that what you said about women, black women, that's mm-hmm. how we feel about mm-hmm. our black men. We don't feel protected. We don't feel mm-hmm. um that they have our back. We feel that we're out here by ourselves. We feel that uh, the government knows that in order to attack y'all, they attack us. So now our children are attacked. Mm-hmm. Our men are attacked. Our well-being is attacked. And because we have to take mm-hmm. a certain stance, we're attacked. Uh, and it's okay. to me, it's hunting season. And women <clears throat> are, if you just looking at some of the things, women are the new target uh, because they need. Mm. There's a need to still to bring us down, but we're really just stepping mm. into a, empty, a position that was left empty. It was left empty. It uh. was left vacant. It was abandoned, and certain jobs have to be done. And so when we step in that position, now all of a sudden we're bitches. We're we're aggressive. Well, well, are we aggressive well, or are we straightforward when stuff well, has no, to no, happen? No. Well. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, but now let, let's examine that real quick, right? Because I, I would submit to you that our women want the best of both worlds. Like, they don't want to be protected because if they did, for, for example, you ask the average black woman right now who's the head of her household, right? And she'll, she'll say her. If she bring, let me phrase that. If our women bring more money home, let's say my, let's say a woman brings home $80,000 a year and her man brings home $40,000 a year. If you ask her who's the head of the household, the majority of them are going to say she, she would say she is because it's all about money, right? When truth be told, the head of a household has nothing to do with money. The head of a household has to do with who's guiding you, who's leading you, who has the vision for this family, and so on and so forth. So now, like I said before, any woman that says she doesn't need a man has never had one. So what happens is, and, and I'm, going to, I'm, not going to, I'm not bashing this, I'm getting an observation. Because I understand mm-hmm. what, I'm, what I'm about to say shows you understand, right? If okay. you have a woman who has been on her own for 10 years, right, and she finds that man, it's hard for her to surrender to his um, guidance 
if she's been doing it for herself the last ten years. I get that. You know, I understand that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of mm-hmm. the day, if you can't you can't say what you want, and then when you get that, you run them away because no good mm-hmm. man anyway. And I said this before on the last show. It ain't what you say; it's how you say it. It's not what you mm-hmm. do; it's how you do it. No good man is gonna stand like a quality, high value man, a head of a household. He's not gonna stand for nobody disrespecting him, talking to him in any kind of way. You know what I'm saying? What you call aggressive is disrespect. And so a man is not have to deal with that because if he's a high value male, he got he got ten women to choose from. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So as women, we so it's like it's like the blind leading the blind. But at some point, we have to get together because we are you we're, black women feel like they're alone. Black men feel like we're alone, and the reason why is because we abandon each other. So at some point, we have mm-hmm. to bridge the gap, and it starts with respect. And, and that's true. That's true. And if we want things to change, if we want other races and other people to to treat us with respect and treat us differently, we got to start treating each other differently. But just mm-hmm. to go back with, on what you were saying, because a lot of the time you can have a good man, you can have, he can be all of those things, but you have to know yourself first. That's first and Correct. foremost. You have to know what type of person you are. And a lot of the times you have to have a man or it's frustrating when you have a man that doesn't have a vision or if mm-hmm. he is unable to submit to himself. Like he can't guide you if he can't guide himself. And he, you Correct. can't submit to someone like that. You can't submit or follow or allow a man to lead if he cannot lead himself. He can't lead himself. A lot of them, a lot of them don't have a vision for themselves. A lot of them mm-hmm. are broken. And so it's hard to mm-hmm. submit to someone that you feel like you're going to have to raise, especially if you got kids. And that becomes another frustrating part because it's like, listen, I already did this. You know, and I think it becomes our frustration with each other. Because, you know, women are frustrated with men and men are frustrated with women. And in frustration, when you don't know how to handle uh, things effectively, it gets out of hand and it becomes disrespectful. And it becomes a, a toxic relationship. And then you have females that say, let me find a man in another race. Because most men from other races love black women. They love our strength. They love our, our drive. They love so many of mm. our, our non-physical characteristics before they love our physical characteristics. You know, Whoa. so there's appreciation Whoa. there that we don't see. It may be there, but we don't see it from our own men. So when we see that appreciation from other races, it's like, oh, well, let me go over there because he appreciate me. And he see me. Well, well, and he, 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 he got me. And that's really what you want. You want your man to have you. You want him to be like, he got me, but he don't have himself. And so well, I think that it's it's a process that we don't know how to fix and we don't know how to rearrange and we don't know how to heal one another or yeah. each other. Yeah. You know, we don't know how. And it becomes just a turn of events that just keeps piling let me, up. Let me, let me say this. The irony of it is this, right? Because I've seen, I used to live in Wilmington, North Carolina. It's probably the interracial capital of the states, right? But mm-hmm. when our black women get with those white men, guess what? They don't act the same way or whatever other kind of race. 
They don't act the same way. They don't give. They don't snap around. They, they they'd be some most humble as you you would think. They treat them totally different. Number one, but number two, more importantly, I don't like to compare a black man to any other race because if you're talking about a white man, he had a 400 year head start on gaining resources. We don't, right? But going back to, to what you initially said, the problem is our women want our men to be perfect because who, who you know, and without taking accountability for themselves, who says that he can't guide because he's not perfect? If you live long enough, you're going to make a mistake. Does that mean I'm not fit to live? Lead? What about Did you? Did I say he wasn't perfect? Are you making mistakes? No, 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 no. What I'm saying, I'm not saying what you said. I'm saying what I'm, oh, I'm okay. observing. Because women say, oh, he can't lead me. He, he messed up. He can't keep. Listen, it's, um, <laughs> okay. No man, no one is perfect. So here it is. No. A, a woman is judging a man, saying, you know what? Now, now, by the way, if he doesn't have a vision, I agree, he's not ready. And in this society, I don't even think in a black community, we shouldn't be considering marriage before we're in our mid-30s because we don't know who we are, men or women. Now, if you do commit to a relationship, understand that there are going to be some challenges because what it is, I'm growing up, to, I'm growing up into my adulthood with you. I'm not choosing mm-hmm. you to be... I'm not choosing to be perfect. I'm choosing to go on a journey called life with you. We're both going to make some mistakes. That's what love is about. You see what I'm saying? You don't mm-hmm. say you're not fit to lead because you did this. You're not fit to lead because you don't make that. Nah. If I'm choosing you as my partner, help me out. Help me help us. I got you if you got me. Because, like I said, that same woman to go in there, when that white man say, well, I'm just saying white man hypothetically, right, because we're different races. But when she go date the other side, She's not the same person that she was at June Bug. When she go date Bill, because Bill ain't going to have it. Well, not even that. She don't have to. Like, she don't have to. Every First of all, in any any relationship, everybody's going to get a different side of you. Everybody. I don't care if you're married and got a side chick or, or if you got multiple girlfriends or whatever the situation. Everybody got a different form of that person because that person mm-hmm. has to be a different way with different people. If uh, she cool. forces him to think, then he's going to be thinking on different levels with her. And then the other one is going to be like, well, he don't even do that with me. You know? So it, Correct. again, it depends on what that person brings out of you. So again, she doesn't have to have that type of, and it's not attitude. Most of the time, it's defense. She doesn't have to have that that type of defense. Um, with I want to say different something. types of men. Excuse me. Go ahead, see. I want to say something. I, I I've been listening, and and Sean, you brought up a point earlier when you said that um, a a white man treats black woman treats a white man differently. She doesn't speak to him the same way. She doesn't act this way. She's the same way. I have to I have to defend my sisters because when you see a black man with a white woman, mm-hmm. the dynamics are totally different. You know, that white mm-hmm. woman gets a part of a black man that we don't see. You know, right. and, and, and he's he's mm-hmm. he's humble with her, he's he's patient with her, he doesn't call her out her name, you know, he treats her respectfully, you know, he does mm-hmm. those things that we as black women would like to see our black man portray to us. You know, and and that and I'm gonna. This is coming from me. That bothers me mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I see a, 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 how a white man carries himself. How a black man, I'm sorry, carries himself with a white woman. You know, it's like she's his mm-hmm. queen. 
but we wear mm-hmm. those crowns for our black men because I still that my black man wears a crown for me. You know, so I want to be crowned as well mm-hmm. as this white woman is crowned by this black man. And and I know I'm getting a little personal, but but that touched me. No, you know, and when, and it was interesting when you said that that I see mm-hmm. that. You know, I may not speak on it or I may give a I don't mm-hmm. know if I give a look when I see it, but <laughs> I feel it every time I see it. <laughs> And, that's, and that's she's not saying, disclaimer, she's not right. saying there's anything wrong with interracial relationships. Right. That's not Correct. what she's saying, y'all. So, so don't send us no emails because I'm going right. to answer those emails. So Go ahead. But that's, out, just, though, that's just an aspect of, of, you know, that's just how this black woman sees things. So check this out, Tony, and this is going to tie in. Wow, this is great. Because guess what? I'm going to give you a spoiler. In Skin Deep 3, if you look at the trailer, you can see that Menelik is married, right? So I'm going to give uh-huh. you a spoiler. Guess what? He's from Ethiopia, right? His uh-huh. wife is a white woman. She's white. Right? That's okay. a spoiler for the book. Now let me show you. So let me let me go back on this. I think we're both saying the same thing. I think we're both experiencing the same thing, right? Because uh-huh. we see that basically what we're saying, I said that black women are more patient than white men, and you're saying that black men are more patient than white women, right? But uh-huh. now I, I, I've lived – and I've dealt with white women, not just white, I've been all over the country, I mean, all over the world. Yeah, I realize. I lived in Germany for almost two years. So, and in my experience, every other race slash nationality I've dealt with, other than our sisters, they've treated, um, I'm being honest, they treated me different. I mean, they treated mm-hmm. me like a king. Even before mm-hmm. I was a king, they treated me like a king. Correction, even before I knew I was a king, they treated me like a king. Mm-hmm. Even when I dealt mm-hmm. with um, sisters of another race here. Right, they they treated me. They edified me. They they made me feel strong. They made me feel powerful. They supported me. They feel, you know they made me. They treated me differently. They treated me with respect. They didn't call me out of my name. Personally, I don't go for that too much anyway. I'm I'm just kind of mad. Period. But I didn't right. have to teach them that. It was taught already. You understand what I'm saying? I, my my little brother, all he dates is outside of his race. Now growing up, he wasn't the most handsome guy, right? And so I asked him well, years ago. I said, Yo, why you date these, you know these kind of women? He said, because the sisters, it wasn't checking for me when I was younger. So don't check for me now. So I think what we're saying, the same thing, that whatever the reason, but it goes back. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well a, a white man and a white woman has had 400 years to learn how to love. They didn't have to deal right. with the kind of sh- stuff we had to deal with. So, of course, when they're right. with somebody, they're going to be more supportive. They're going to be more, you know what I'm saying? They didn't have to deal with the human language. They didn't have to deal with the shit we had to deal with. Oh, well, wait, wait a to, minute. Because white men, you can ask some white women, they don't feel, and I just want to go back and piggyback off of what Miss Tony said, because uh-huh. a lot of times they don't feel respected by their men, even though they have 400 years. But if you think about the 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 dynamics of that that relationship over that four or five hundred year time frame where women were looked at as the kids and and that's it. You know, you're here to have my babies and cook and da 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 and that's kitchen and, you know, the bedroom, Florida. Kitchen the bedroom. Right. So when they get with women <laughs> or when women get with men and I don't even gonna say color because I think we're the only country that really sees color a lot more often correct. than a that's lot of other countries. Mm-hmm. That's why I said nationality. So mm-hmm. when 
they get with different kinds of men, they're getting something that they're not getting from their own. Whether it's a white woman with a black man, a black man with a white woman, a, a, a black woman with a Korean man, it doesn't matter. They're getting something that they mm-hmm. were not getting before. Uh, and right. it's, uh, that's what's drawing <laughs> them in. But, but you know yep. what I'm saying? That's what's drawing them in because if they were with the same race, they wouldn't be given that because you're you're mm-hmm. giving her a different form of you. You see what I'm saying? Even right. though you felt like they yeah. all treated you differently, they're getting a different form of shine. They're getting a form of shine that shine's not given to a sister at that at that nah. time. I'm not gonna say now, but they're yeah, getting yeah. something that you are not giving. Mm-hmm. You know well, what, what I'm saying? And that's well. every relationship because you can have you can date five women. Don't matter what color mm-hmm. they are, everybody's getting something that the other person is not getting. But, but yeah, I get what you're saying, but it's, it's, it's just natural. Like, listen, when I was out there in that world, especially I was in Germany, there there have been instances where, um, man, I mean, I'm gonna keep it a band. I've had one night stands with German women. It's just natural. They just feel like even on the one night stand tip, they made me feel love. I know what love I ain't no sucker. But still, it's just different a dynamic. It's different. And as far as the white men, with the, how they treat their white woman, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. She became common to him. And so a lot of white men might dance on the, on the dark side, but when it's time to go back home and marry them and, and share their resources, even a lot of white women. A lot of white women date mm-hmm. black men, but when it's, when it's time to marry and share their resources, you don't see too many white women with resources Marrying black men with nothing, right? If they do marry that black man, he's got something going on. You know what I'm saying? So I mean, I, I guess it depends. 